Today on Ag News Daily. Our worry was we were going to have a whole bunch of supply and not as much demand, meaning having a lot of people sign up to be laborers and no jobs posted, or the inverse. Aloha, Ag News Daily listeners. Delaney Howell joining you once again from Hawaii today, joined by Ashton Carr. Ashton, I totally forgot to tell our listeners about my traumatic story that happened to me (laughs) while I was here. Well, why don't you go ahead and tell them? I guess we're kicking it off with bad news or a bad experience, in my personal opinion. (laughs) Well, you know, we've talked about this on the podcast before. You and I share both the same irrational fear of birds and being down here in Hawaii it is irrational it is absolutely irrational (laughs) but being down here in Hawaii the hotels the lobbies are open right so they're not completely closed off like they are in normal hotels because obviously the weather here is pretty nice year-round well I was sitting the other day in one of the lobbies, eating my bagel, waiting for Blaine to get his morning coffee. And a bird flew out of nowhere and literally climbed in my hair or used my head as a landing strip and flew off. And I was quite traumatized, Ashton. (laughs) Did you have your hair teased or anything? Did it look like No, 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 I didn't. (laughs) I don't think, well, I don't think I did. I guess I didn't think about that. That's a good question. Maybe my hair looked like a bird's nest to them. Yeah, maybe you just missed the back of your head when you were brushing that morning. (laughs) I guess I didn't think about that possibility, but that was one time. And then the other day at the pool, I hadn't told you this yet. I was just sitting by the pool reading my book and a bird came and flew and like climbed on my foot and flew off. So I've had two birds touch me this week, Ashton, which is very traumatic. Gosh, I'm I'm glad that you live in Des Moines and not down here because I think that you'd have to be in like an incubation period quarantine after having that many interactions with birds. Birds are they're just so germy and gross. And after watching them all week, I am very thankful we don't have any when I get back to Iowa. Have you Delaney heard about the birds aren't real conspiracy? Oh, yes. Blaine has showed me all of that stuff. I eat that up. I think it's absolutely hilarious. You know, I'm not 100% a believer that birds are actually spies, but I just think it's absolutely hilarious the extremes some people take it to. That's true. Very true. But that's been my traumatic experience while I'm here. But obviously, I've also soaked up a lot of sun and feeling refreshed for the podcast. Today, I have looked at quite a bit of news. So I'll go ahead and kick things off here, Ashton, with an interesting bill that's come across the Iowa governor's desk, which is an opportunity to expand biofuels here in the state of Iowa. This bill has been advanced to the committee in the House and has just been introduced in the Senate. But the bill is basically a way to try and require all retailers in the state of Iowa to comply with infrastructure to allow E15 year-round by 2026. So this is a stretch goal. We've got plenty of time here for retailers to get on board with this. But Governor Reynolds is, of course, obviously a big proponent of ethanol and E15 and other renewable fuels and said that all new retailers that open after January 2026 must offer E15. 
and that any newly installed or upgraded ethanol infrastructure must be E85 compatible. This will also, however, for those retailers, increase the E15 tax credit that they get. And there will be some exemptions and waivers for retailers unable to meet the ethanol and biofuel requirements due to cost or other factors. But all in all, they are really pushing to get some new infrastructure put in place. And Governor Reynolds said that they also plan to invest in the Iowa, Iowa Renewable Fuels Infrastructure Program with a proposal to invest $10 million in state funding each year for five years to help those companies offset the infrastructure costs that will inevitably come with changing some of those pumps. But I tell you what, Ashton, I always use E15 or E85 if it's available to me, and it kills me how often we see no E15 or E85 offered at a lot of locations here in the state of Iowa, which is supposed to be one of the biggest states to produce ethanol. Well, Delaney, I have an interesting piece of news myself to kick things off here. And it's talking about the port congestion that we've really been seeing. And the Biden administration is coming up with even more ways to solve this issue. And one of them is employing a multi-pronged strategy to kind of speed up ag exports, specifically through these congested ports. And a project in Oakland is one piece of it. The government will pay part of the cost for a 25-acre pop-up site near the port in Oakland that will be dedicated to loading farm exports into empty containers. This site could go into operation as early as March. The USDA will pay about 60% of startup costs and a $125 subsidy per container to offset additional movement logistics. The USDA estimated that it will spend about $5 million as a partner in this project. And pop-up sites like this one in Oakland were announced previously in Georgia, and Secretary Vilsack said that more of them could be added to ports on the West Coast. I don't know if I just missed that piece of information about other pop-up sites on the East Coast, Delaney, but I missed that one. So I'm glad that we got to catch up here with this story from Oakland. I am as well. And I saw this piece of news come this morning on the newswires as well. And a couple of the points I wanted to make here, Ashton, um, really the goal obviously is to get agricultural products out of the ports, out of U.S. shores, off to other countries that need our product. But uh, this project will also enhance marketing of U.S. agricultural products, specifically through quicker pickup of empty containers as the main terminal is bypassed access to available equipment and fewer unpredictable congestion surcharges for trucks. So like you said there, we've seen this happen over in Georgia and on the East Coast. I'm going to have to do a little digging because I also did not realize that was happening. And I'm going to be curious to see how effective that was. But this port congestion has been an ongoing issue for years now at this point. So I think any sort of help we can get getting agricultural products off U.S. shores is definitely a plus. Yeah, I'm right there with you, Delaney. And I just wonder if some of these pop-up sites will become something a little bit more permanent if we see them being really beneficial to ports and those kinds of logistics. Absolutely. I think the only question in my head, which I guess is the cynist in me, the cynic in me, but um I'm just curious to see who's going to man these ports, because as we know, labor has definitely been a struggle since COVID really ramped things up here. So I'm going to be curious to see 
who are they going to get to man these pop-up facilities? Yeah, no, you're totally right, Delaney. I don't know how I missed that one because it's been such a large topic of conversation, but I didn't even question it. <laughs> that's, that's the only question I have right now. But one question I don't have, Ashton, is just how serious things are becoming down in South America. We've seen a couple different releases this week from different consultancies about their estimates for Brazilian and Argentinian crop for this marketing year, or for their this crop year, I should say. Stonex released their m- most recent estimate and pegged Brazilian's soybean crop at 126.5 million metric tons, down from 134 million metric tons a month ago. And just two months ago, they were still at a 145. So certainly have seen some major cuts there by Stonex. Other consultancies, including Ag Rural and Ag Resource, also trimmed their forecast on Monday and, of course, noted bad weather down in Brazil. But they pegged their estimates at a 130 million metric ton threshold. So certainly seeing some large cuts here to the soybean crop especially, but Stonex also went ahead and cut corn production as well. Just a million metric tons now at 116 million metric tons down from 117 last month. But this heavy drought really does continue to take its toll on crops down there. And, you know, I'm we've been talking to farmers. We've been down here with other farmers and other ag seed salesmen and had a lot of interesting discussions this week, Ashton, about just how bad things are. So I think this South American situation. I really wish I was down in South America right now just to see, you know, boots on the ground view. But really at this time, all we have are other people sharing their estimates and suggestions with us. And it certainly does not sound like anything is getting better from here. Well, Delaney, on a little bit more of a positive note, I have an announcement from the USDA. They announced a new agency market news mobile app, which provides farmers and everyone in the supply chain with instant access to current and historical market info. The initial version of this free app, yes, free, includes nearly 800 livestock, poultry, and grain market reports with additional commodities added throughout the coming year. Secretary Vilsack was quoted as saying that USDA is focused on building more resilient and transparent markets and is taking steps to promote competition and fairer prices for farmers to consumers. This new market news app helps create a more level playing field for small and medium producers by delivering critical market information to them where they are when they need it. So producers and all other users can search for markets based on their location, by state, or by commodity. They can also add market reports to their favorites for easier access, share reports via text or email, subscribe to reports, and receive real-time notifications when a new report is published. For additional data analysis, the app lets you share the source data behind the reports via email as well. So I thought that this was pretty interesting, and I think that I'm going to have to download this myself after we get off this call, Delaney. Yeah. Remind us one more time what that app was, Ashton, because I'm going to check it out for myself. USDA Market News. Okay. USDA Market News. We're going to download it and see if it's... We'll give our review before we push our listeners to go download it. 
There we go, Delaney. That's a good idea. Fantastic. Well, speaking of USDA, USDA's forecast that farm income this year will actually sharply decline. And there's a few reasons why they are citing that that may happen, but largely because massive pandemic and MPP, et cetera, other government programs won't be coming in 2022. They said income would fall in the face of higher costs of production and less federal payments than we saw last year. They said that net farm income could plunge as much as 19% this year, which while that does sound like a lot, it still will be a strong net farm income, just a big drop compared to last year. Somewhere around $99 billion is what they are estimating right now, while other folks are estimating somewhere closer to about $116.8 billion here. So we certainly could see a mixed bag for agriculture, but you know, I think that comes as no surprise that we're not going to see a ton of government intervention this year. And we certainly will see a little decline in farm income, but hopefully, all in all, folks will be sitting better off this year too, especially considered where considering where commodity prices are. Well, before we get into where commodity prices are for today, Delaney, I just have one other thing that I wanted to talk about, and it's the CO2 situation going on over in Britain. If you'll remember, we talked about this story a couple of months ago, and CO2 was running low over in Britain, and that really threatened the food and beverage industry. But now, Britain has reached an agreement with a carbon dioxide producer, CF Industries, which is an American-based company. But CF Industries does have some warehouses over in Britain as well. So they made this agreement to ensure that a sustainable supply of CO2 production, as it has been threatened, of course, by high global prices. The deal is this latest agreement struck between the two companies to ensure that industries such as meat production, which is just one stem of food and beverage, can keep functioning. And CO2 is used to stun animals for slaughter and preserve the shelf life of meat, which is not something that we talked about when this problem initially stemmed. We were talking about things like beer and the shutting down of pubs and things of that nature, but it really was threatening a couple of different sectors of the food and beverage industry as well, like I just mentioned there. This deal will enable CF Fertilizer's Billingham plant to continue to operate while global gas prices remain high. It means that key sectors, including food processing and even nuclear power, are insured supplies of CO2. There was a statement by the business department of one of these companies that said in the longer term, the government would like to see the market take measures to improve resilience, and we're engaging on ways this could happen. So sounds like this is a little bit of a short-term solution here, and we might see a longer-term one coming down the pipeline. We certainly hopefully will there, Ashton, but I tell you what, I'm all out of news for today. So what do you say we hop in and cover the markets? Let's do it. Well, actually, I lied. I had one other quick piece of news I wanted to mention because yesterday, I think I mentioned on the podcast that we've seen some fertilizer prices pull back while others have just hit all-time highs. I'm talking here about anhydrous, which has just hit an all-time price record high at $1,492 per ton, which is a jump from the last week we saw it at $1,433 per ton. So 
still seeing some fertilizer markets continue to skyrocket higher, while others have taken a little bit of a breather here. So is an end in sight? Oh, that's still a little bit of a question mark right now. But one thing that's not a question mark is just how explosive these soybean markets have been here as they continue to trade on South American weather. March soybeans today up 40 cents, closing at 15.30 and a half, breaking through that huge psychological barrier of $15. And now the question is, where is that new area of resistance going to be? November new crop soybeans up 14 and a half cents today, closing at 13.81 and a half. Corn saw moves to the upside today as well, with the March contract adding eight and three quarters cents at six thirty four and three quarters of the May, up nine at six thirty three and a half, and Dees new crop corn up four cents, closing at five seventy seven and a half. Wheat followed suit today with the March Chicago contract adding eight cents at seven sixty nine and a quarter, the May up eight and a quarter cent, closing at seven seventy four and a half. Hopping over into the livestock markets today, they certainly followed suit as well today with green on the screen. April live cattle up 85 cents, closing at 145.37. The June up 90 at 139.97 and a half. And in feeder cattle today, the March contract up 67 and a half cents, closing at 163.70. The April up 70 cents, closing at 169.15. In the lean hog pits, we continued to see that strength here in the April contract, adding $1.97 to close at $97.67. The May up $2.25, closing at $101.92. And hopping over into the Class 3 dairy milk futures. February today shed $0.20, cents, closing at $20.15. The March down $0.51, cents, closing at $21.30. Ashton, without further ado, fill us in on who we're chatting with for today's hashtag Tech Tuesday interview. Today, we are talking about Ag Butler with Kevin Johansson. Well, folks, for today's Tech Tuesday, we're talking to a familiar voice, Kevin Johansson, who is the CEO and founder of Ag Butler. Kevin, it's been some time since you've been on the Ag News Daily podcast, but we're certainly glad to have you back. Yes, Ashton. I think it's it was uh, two years ago that I was on here, and uh, we were just coming off of a whirlwind stretch of competing in two ag innovation contests, and so we're happy to be back on and visiting with you. And you guys have had some exciting things happen since then. You're gearing up to be at NCBA's convention this week, and I'm sure that you've had a lot of other travel, uh, maybe not so much because of the pandemic, but uh, you've been doing a whole lot of things since we last spoke to you. But for our audience and myself included who don't know a whole lot about you or your background, why don't you get us up to speed? Okay. Um, I am a fifth-generation farmer from central Missouri, but now reside in Lebanon, Missouri, which is south central Missouri, um, just right on I-44. I am there along with my wife and two daughters. Uh, we manage our 5J Charlet uh, fall herd and the uh, JDB Hereford spring herd, as well as forage crops as far as all the hay production for both of those operations. Um, and as well, Ag Butler was essentially a platform that was built out of um, me being a gig worker before the gig economy was a buzzword. Uh, during college and early adulthood, traveled the country, uh, getting cattle ready for production sales and livestock shows across the country. And we've continued to see that uh, ag labor gap 
grow in rural communities. So we decided about four and a half years ago to put this idea to work. And um, right now we are have a platform that's been running a little over 14, 15 months, and we're continuing to grow and expand it month over month. So I want to know what kind of industries you're really working in here, because there's a whole lot to talk about when we're looking at that, because you guys are really all encompassing. Yes. So whenever we started out the platform, we were just going to do um, crops and livestock and transportation and then, you know, running into some issues, having some construction projects and a lot of a lot of our um, people in rural communities and farmers and ranchers also can uh, do some construction on the side. So we added that as part of the industry. And then really in the last year, we've added two more industries that focus on the livestock or show livestock world, as well as specialty crops. Um, We were able to do a pilot run um, with an industry uh, partnership with Hammond's Black Walnuts based out of Stockton, Missouri. And that proved to be a uh, really good um, pilot run for us to kind of help agribusinesses and specialty crops um, get some much needed labor in peak season times. I want, of course, to talk a little bit more about how Ag Butler has really been handling the labor crisis that the ag industry is in right now. What have you been seeing from, you know, the people that you're trying to help find jobs? What are you looking at when people are looking for employers? What's going on there? Because there's been a ton going on in the labor market, especially in the ag industry. Well, it's been really interesting because when we first launched it, our our worry was we were going to have a whole bunch of supply and not as much demand meaning having a lot of people sign up to be laborers and no jobs posted or the inverse. And so whenever we got this up and running, um, we didn't really see too much of a gap between those two sides of the platform. And then uh, we had a real big uptick um, back in April and May of 21. And ever since that big push um, we've been seeing both sides of the platform growing almost in parallel. So it's essentially a one-to-one ratio there. And when we started the platform, um, we were focusing more on the part-time peak season help. And as we were able to start talking to more people in person and having more in-person events and getting feedback from different individuals that were using Ag Butler, it was uh, a lot of people were asking about putting full-time positions on because they've tried to use mainstream um, job boards and their their postings were just getting lost in the shuffle. And so they people knew that we were focusing our marketing narrative to people in rural communities from ag backgrounds. And so we were starting to see an uptick of full-time positions um, in production agriculture. And then we're also um, getting some people to ask about putting uh, internships on the platform as well. Well, it sounds like you guys are really growing and expanding at just the right kind of time here. 
And one thing that you guys are doing this year is the Ag Butler Ambassador Program. So is this something new? Have you done this in years past since you're a relatively new startup? What's going on there? Really, this is uh, the first event that we're putting together. Um, We've had a lot of talks with different colleges and junior colleges that have a department that's dedicated to agriculture. And our whole goal is to um, push the narrative that we want to encourage this next generation and not discourage them from being in part of production agriculture. And really, this platform works really well for the college students. Um, you know, it's it's a challenge to manage a 16-hour class schedule during semester and then also try to have a part-time job that fits that schedule. But for Ag Butler and these college students, it allows them to um, be able to pick up jobs in and around their colleges and universities get paid for their hours of work, but actually be able to build a resume and bolster their network in the agriculture industry for whatever they plan to do after college. And so we thought the best thing to do was um, put it out there and, you know, let these college students apply to this ambassador program that um, in return for their work, they get scholarship money for their semester, but also we want them to, uh, to be involved and give us insight on what their colleagues like to see as far as a platform goes and how we can best market to those individuals to place them in uh, really good opportunities in or around their colleges and in their rural communities. So what exactly are these ambassadors going to be doing throughout their duration with Ag Butler? Well, um, our biggest um, success in our traction has been through social media and the digital footprint because, um, you know, for the last two and a half years, almost we've been in a pandemic and you couldn't do a whole lot of in-person, um, marketing. And so we had to switch to all digital onboarding processes and, uh, showing and training people how to use the platform at a distance and, this generation is really proficient in social media and we wanted to utilize their expertise and the knowledge that they have on what's the best way to get the information that we need to get out to individuals to utilize it so we can continue building this community for uh, not only the ag industry, but for rural communities as a whole. Well, Kevin, a lot of these ambassadors that we're seeing for the 2022 cohort come from a variety of states, I'm sure a variety of backgrounds when it comes to agriculture. So I'm sure that you guys will have a lot on your hands and some great ideas generating. But when we're talking about the future, what do you think the next step is for the ambassador program? Do you think we'll see something come from 2023? And if so, How can students keep up with if you're going to open applications and all that good stuff? Yeah, the plan is um, we're hoping we have a great inaugural group of ambassadors. And so our goal is to hopefully um, they get good experience out of this program 
not only the scholarship dollars, but be able to build on their own network and be able to have Ag Butler as a as a uh, resume booster. And so the plan would be as this semester uh, ambassador program runs and it's it in when it's a, a success, um, we'll either look at doing a summer run or wait to the fall semester. And so if anybody is interested in applying for the next round, just uh, like and share or follow on any of our pages and our social media and or keep an eye on our website because we have a page that's totally dedicated to the ambassador program and the ambassadors. And so we'll have plenty of times and promotion to show when we'll open up the next round of the application process. Awesome. Well, Kevin, it has been a joy to get to know a little bit more about you and what's going on with the ambassador program. We definitely wish Ag Butler and the ambassadors the best of luck. Yes, Ash, appreciate the time and um, the platform to be able to share what we're doing and how we're expanding. Um, we just want everybody to know that Ag Butler, we're building a platform for everybody to be able to source labor or um, find a job and get work done. Thanks again there to Kevin for coming on and chatting about Ag Butler and their new announcement with us. Delaney, it's been some time since you've had them on the podcast. This is my first time really getting to talk about Ag Butler. So I learned a little bit as well as our audience did today. Absolutely. It's been quite some time since we've been able to chat with Kevin. So certainly appreciate him coming on and giving us an update on where the business is at. Absolutely, Delaney. And we're going to keep having some conversations with some old Tech Tuesday guests, some new stuff is coming out. So folks, be sure to tune into that at agnewsdaily.com. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.